How's it, guys? Welcome back for another week with me, Nick. And Ronnie's here for the second week back in a row. Is that a pause for me to jump in here and say thank you? Yes, I am here. Yes, indeed, Ronnie. So I have a question for you right off the bat. Did you fall for my April Fool's joke? No. You actually gave me a heads up, though, so that's on you. I see. It was yeah. quite convincing. I tried to I tried to get the line supporters that I knew. I planted the seed a few days earlier. And so, you know, to most of them, it actually made sense. They were like, oh, it's a good decision. And yeah. so that was my attempt to try and fool them a few days early. Yeah, it got, it got about 30,000 readers. I did do the rounds a little bit. But I found it quite funny reading the comments, how many people actually thought it was a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. Any, any investment for them for that the lines would be a good idea at this point. I saw some guys suggesting it should be moved next to Monte Casino. Some people saying to Midrand. So some funny suggestions coming out of that. But otherwise, Ronnie, yeah. good weekend. Yeah, it's been an okay weekend. I've actually got sick. So last week, gave a lot of people tr trouble for getting COVID at the workshop that we were at in Dublin. And I, I said to everyone, yeah, they make me tough. They make us tough where I come from. And uh, then I went on and got bronchitis. So, Yeah, not such a win in that situation. That's why your voice is sounding a bit rough there over the recording today. But looks like yeah. you're on, on the mend and you're back to being your cocky self. So unfortunately, guys, you're going to have to tolerate it for another 40 minutes with me as well. Yeah, 40 minutes. Okay, let's see. <laughs> but yeah, I was back at home in Hearties with Opa. Actually, shout out to Opa. He won the Six Nations on our smaller pool of the Six Nations. So I gave him a certificate there. I actually want to see him make his picks every now and again, because there's a, there's a part of me that believes that's your second account. <laughs> Opa, Ronnie's calling you out here. So he's just scared of losing the World Cup to, you know, he's never, never really won anything. That's the next big tournament coming our way. But Ronnie, mm -hmm. talking about winning things, Heineken Cup, Challenge Cup, both on this weekend. Some lacquer rugby went down there. I said, you know, I was most looking forward to Stormers Harlequins game. Delivered for me. But let's take a jump in there to the first one, a Friday night fixture. Tigers winning 16-6 against Edinburgh. I don't know if you got to see that game at all, but Pollard had a pretty good one, scoring 12 of those you, points. You're talking about Pollard, but I want to talk about the unstoppable Jasper Visa. What machine, eh? Did you see us hey, yeah, that was an unbelievable try. So I know you're giving Pollard a lot of praise here, but I think you should have kicked it off with, with Visa with his never say die attitude. Well, that's the thing. Visa now gets them over and gets them the win. But you also can't discount Pollard's contribution in that game because I mean he was contributing with the boots, keeping it keeping the scoreline ticking over. But like you say, yeah. very impressive from Jasper Visa. He came on at half time. And in just 40 minutes, he secures man of the match. But with that, he gets 10 tackles, one turnover. He made eight carries, beat three defenders, gained 35 meters and scored a try. So he did more than he did more in 40 minutes than you did in a whole year. Yeah, that's probably quite true. Eh? So yeah, Jasper and White again, deserved man of the match. Then Ronnie, over to Kings Park. Quite a hot and humid afternoon there by the looks of it. Sharks going for a big score there, 50-35 over Munster. Yeah, so it's a couple of points that came out of this. I, It's a good... The Sharks hit back nicely after their dismal performance the week before. I didn't expect them to decimate Munster the way that they did. Also, my scoreline was a lot closer on Superbrew. But well up to the Sharks, they just kicked it into an, another gear in the second half, which was awesome to see. Yeah, it really was an impressive game from the Sharks, but 
I still have this feeling it's more individual brilliance than it is a solid game plan down there, the Sharks. I mean, if you look at the they scored seven tries, six of those tries were scored by Springbok players. Bongi and Bonambi picking mm. up two of them. That's, <laughs> a, that's an interesting point of view. I didn't look at it like that. I thought, you know, the fact that it is a Springbok players doing well, it speaks to what Jake White said. That there were some Springboks lacking in their team. So, yeah, Springboks have a big influence. Yeah, when you look at that try scoring sheet, I mean, definitely has an influence on it, those players. And how good was Mopimpi's goose step through to go for that try, eh? Like a footwork from the winger. Yeah, absolutely. And a little bit disappointed to see old Jaden Hendricks go down and also Evan Itzabeth. Yeah, well, as you say that, I mean, the Sharks are going to have a bit of a struggle for this weekend because they've now lost Evan Itzabeth to injury. Then Emil van Heerden went down in the second half, so that's two locks out. Then Buddha Chamberlain also gone with a groin injury, Jaden Hendrickser. So those are some players they're not going to be happy to be losing. And I mean, it leaves them a bit thin in the locking department. It does. does. I'm also concerned about all Jaden Hendrickser going down from a Sharks perspective, as well as a Springbok perspective. But for the locks, it, it does worry me a bit. If you look at it, they've lost Irvin and Emil now. So they're probably going to move Vincent Chatuka to lock and then bring in Renil Hucho on the bench. Dipping into their, into their reserves there, but it does look from the communications today that these are not long-term injuries to either of the players and they're only likely to miss this game. Well, you saw, you saw... I think Jaden Hendrickson was looked to be a little bit more severe than at least Eben's. Eben, he was still walking. He had a very small ice pack that he was carrying. Or maybe it's just, maybe he's just so large that he makes any ice pack look small. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I wasn't too concerned. I just, you know, what tends to happen with these players is they get injured. It's a small injury and they don't recover well enough before giving it another go. And then it turns something very small into something very big. Yeah, that's for sure. And you don't want to see that happening. But talking of injuries, how great was it to see Archia Sneeman get his first start in 32 weeks, 32 months? I was, was going to say, your math seems to be a bit... 32 months? 32 months since his last starting game. So, I mean, he's had a, a couple in between where he's come off the bench and then got re-injured. But first start in 32 games. Did you see Bongi... So that's two and a half years. Yeah. It's two and a half years. Did you see Bonky run up to him? It was like Barney and grabbed him. Like he hasn't seen this guy for three years. It was really like it to see Archie coming yeah, back. It was good. Very, very good. Then we take a hop down to Cape Town, the other coastal side. Stormers getting a 32-28 win over Harlequins. Dion Free try in the first 55 seconds of the game. Eh? That was like a 30, 40 meter sprint from him. Yeah. Hey, you weren't going to stop him. You weren't he just stop him. tucked. He tucked and went, eh? He was, he was running like an inside center. I think for me in that Stormers game, it was quite, not, quite nice to see that they stuck to their expansive style of play. You know, oftentimes you can see an expansive team come into the playoffs and, and start to become too conservative and employ a game plan that doesn't suit them. So great to see the Stormers stuck with their processes there, I think. I agree. And uh, I think the scoreline doesn't really reflect how dominant the Stormers really were. The Harlequins got a couple of tries at the end there. So if you look at this, having not watched the game, you think it was a lot closer than it was. The Stormers were dominant from the start. They had a great game play. They stuck to their guns, like you mentioned. Uh, they weren't afraid to swing it wide. I saw a little bit of confidence with Damien Willemse with the uh, cross kicks that he was trying to, trying to employ. And that was just great to see. Yeah, it really was great to see. And Damien Willems is scoring one hell of a try. It's even being touted as try of the year at the moment. So that was very lucky to see. But 
I mean, like you say, the Quins really weren't in this contest at all. At 72 minutes, the score was 32-7. And then they scored yeah, three, three quick tries in the last six or seven minutes of the game. And suddenly the score looks like this. The so Stormers will be disappointed with that lack of concentration. But all in all, a pretty good game from the men in the Cape. No, absolutely. It's knockout stages in the, in the, in the Champions Cup. And a win's a win whether it's by one point or, or, or 50. And then just quickly, I'm keen to get your opinion on it, Ronnie. What did you make of the Marnie Lubbock versus Marcus Smith battle there? I thought Marnie did very well. Marnie did very well. And it goes back to what we spoke about last week, where a lot of people have been very critical of Marnie. And I think you and I both are, you know, we're in favor of Marnie very much. And I feel that he's, he's, play, he's putting strong performances week in, week out. And he's, he's trending upwards, and that's good to see. I think a bit of a better matchup against Marcus Smith, good, a good matchup against Marnie Lubbock. Maybe they're on equal footing at the moment, but I think definitely Lubbock pipped him there as the better fly half of the day. Yeah, Lubbock definitely pipped him. And I think whenever a fly half has a quiet game like Marcus Smith did, you also have to look at the, the loose trio that he's facing because the Storm has put him under so much pressure. He really got front football. And a player like Marcus is never going to shine without front football to run his attacking flair game off of, you know. Absolutely. So then we go over title holders, current defending champs, La Rochelle getting a 29-26 win over Gloucester. They stole that right at the end with a very late try, but they are now through to the quarterfinals as well. So that's great from them. Then we go Leinster-Ulster, the Irish Derby, two local sides going hard at each other there. Ulster ultimately going down 30-15. Yeah, Ronnie, I mean, no one really expects Leinster not to win that, hey? Yeah, no one expects Leinster to win it, but, you know, Ulster's also been a little bit disappointing throughout the season. You would have expected a better performance with URC as well, but they haven't been able to, to step it up. Yeah, it's, I mean, you have to sort of feel for any side that takes on Leinster at the moment because they really are just so powerful. Then we go over to another very interesting game, and we're going to have a little bit of a chat about this because it's it's funny. So 26-26. <laughs> Better score. be funny. 26-26 between Exeter and Montpellier at full time. They then went on to play 20 minutes of extra time, and still the score remained the same, 32-32. And so it goes down to the tiebreaker, which is which side scored more tries, and that's who gets through. Don't you think it should have been a dropout? Or a golden oh, I've seen the dropout a couple of times in over the last couple of decades. Golden try, I would have probably gone for golden try, right? Or golden points, if if that's it. Yeah, golden. I think it 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 takes away from the fans that have been at the stadium. You know, you go to a game, it's a playoff game. You expect to see a winner with the extra time and whatnot, and for it just to end as a draw. I think you can give more to the game by by making a golden point of some sort. No, because you make a good point. If certain teams are not try-scoring teams, they are kick-based teams. They go for points. It's it's the slow but slow but consistent ticking over of points that wins them games. And does that is that is that team a worse rugby playing team than than a team that scores more tries? And not necessarily. Exactly. It's a difference of game plan that then comes back to haunt you a bit later. But I mean, that means the winners there, Exeter coming out on top via that path, and they will now face the Stormers, but we'll get onto that. Saracens, they got a very lucky 35-20 win over the Ospreys. They had to come from behind twice to win this one. Yeah, that's good to see. You have to dig deep in order to 
come back once and then dig deep even more to, to come back a second time from being behind and then to put 15 points over your position. Well, well done to the Saracens. They, they did well. Yeah, and also good to see that Owen Farrell actually took to the field in that game. I know last week we spoke a bit of an injury concern with his ankle, but good to see the players back up and running. Then a game that will have disappointed many of our compatriots here in the capital city yeah. to lose yeah. getting a 33-9 win over the Bulls. Antoine Dupont, man of the match, pretty much scripted, eh? No, the Bulls went in it from, from, from the first minute. They've, they've sort of lost their grunt or their, their sort of... I don't know what the word is. They just they just lost a lot and six game losing streak is that what it was? It's just very disappointing to see from the Bulls because they were they weren't in the game from the first minute. But I I actually picked up on something in this and I I want to talk about it because you saw when it came to halftime, Toulouse was looking to run the ball and still play. The whole crowd booed it, but Ruan Nokia booted the ball into touch and. Then you think back to the, the earlier rounds of the Heineken Cup and Jake White saying, you know, this is not their main focus. They sent a weaker side to face Clermont. How do you get your players to change that mindset then coming into a last 16 fixture? It's not been a priority and now suddenly they must play playoff rugby. I think a couple of weeks ago, the question was, I can't remember what one of the band questions was, but I always said that the players wins you a game, but your coach is what wins you a season. And this was perhaps that mindset that was set too early in the season and that the players just stuck to it. Well, you know, this wasn't their priority. Their priority seems to be URC. And that's disappointing to see. That's a mentality that should never have been there. Yeah, I think that was definitely a coaching error to make those sort of statements early because that's going to sit with the player when they plan their season out. They focused on the on the URC and then, you know, this competition falls by the wayside. And looking at that game, I mean, they went all the way to France and came away with three penalties. I mean, doesn't look like the Bulls wanted this very much at all, if you ask me. No, and they had a Mornay staying on the bench. Perhaps he should have been started. Yeah, also agree with that. Chris Smith is definitely struggling at the moment. But from the Bulls' side, I did think Alric Lowe had a pretty good game. But can we just for a second talk about how easily Antoine Dupont tackled Marcou van Staden? I couldn't believe it. I don't know if you noticed that, Ronnie. He... Well, they don't have load shedding in France, so he's not used to having the lights put out. Yo, I could not believe that. I've never seen a scrum half take or such a hard-running flanker down so easily. But Antoine Dupont's not your typical scrum half. Like, I mean, he's short, but, but Antoine Dupont is big. I mean, his neck is massive. His neck is three times the size of your neck. Yeah, that's true. Eh? That's definitely true. So that wraps up the Heineken Cup then, and we take a move over quickly to the two South African teams in the Challenge Cup. Cheetahs, unfortunately, going down quite badly, 36-21 to Toulon. I think a tough ask for any side like that to go and play in front of a French crowd. You know, difficult circumstances for the Cheetahs this year. Yeah, that is a little bit disappointing. And yeah, look, they were up against it from, from the start. Yeah. And then I think an impressive victory was Lions 51-28 over Racing 92. Lions managing that, playing almost 60 minutes or more than 60 minutes with only 14 men. Emmanuel Chituka got a red card in the 18th minute and it united the boys and they really, really pulled this one off well there, Ronnie. Yeah, I mean, the Lions just seem to have Racing's number at this point or maybe it's not, it's two apiece, right, from my understanding. No, you're so, thinking they beat Stade Francais and now they've beat Stade Francais. Okay. Well, then Lions seem to have the French's number. They seem to, to do quite well. I didn't expect that. And it was a commanding performance from the Lions. Fantastic to see. I had, it was one of the few games that had me. 
upstanding for most of it. Yeah, I was very, very impressed with them, as all the boys can be very chuffed with themselves. And I think a special shout out there also to Edward van der Mover, the wing that's playing very well for the Lions and not getting the credit he deserves at the moment. Yeah, a lot of those players aren't getting the credit they deserve, but that's because the Lions haven't exactly been winning of late. Uh, so a couple of games here and there that they've proved us wrong and they've put in a good performance. And that's, we just expect to see more of those games, a little bit more consistency coming from the Lions. For sure. And I think it's also nice just to mention here that the last 16 of the Heineken Cup is 16 sides. Eight of them were from the URC. So the URC is definitely a strong competition and it's showing its way through to the, the Heineken Cup. I don't know if you want to take us through the quarterfinal matchups quickly, Ronnie. Yeah. So first matchup, what we've got is Leinster versus Leicester. Those two teams are so similarly named. Sometimes when I read, I can't tell them apart. But I think the winner gets to, the loser has to change their name here. But Leinster versus Leicester is the first matchup. Um, and they'll be taking on the winner between Toulouse and the Sharks. So the Sharks will be, be playing Toulouse, but they won't be playing Toulouse. We hope that the Sharks can actually pull this one off. So winner between Leinster, Leicester, and the winner between Toulouse and the Sharks. Then the next matchups on the other side of the, of, of the top eight is La Rochelle versus the Saracens. And the winner from that, from that matchup will take on the winner between Exeter and the Stormers. Uh, so that should also be quite interesting. See what happens, maybe. Potentially going to pan out. We'll see a South African, all South African final. Yeah, that would be pretty cool to see, actually. And if you look at the quarterfinals now, you've got three URC sides, three from the Prem, and two from France that have progressed to this point. So again, the URC featuring prominently there. But it's going to be interesting to see these matchups. Tough ask to go and play away now. Obviously, we can't get playoff games at home. But I don't think it's far fetched that you might see a Heineken Cup and a URC final featuring Leinster and the Stormers with the way those sides are both playing at the moment. Absolutely, and that's going to be very exciting for us as South African fans. Yeah, that would be incredible to watch. And then I just pulled up the referees. They've been announced for the, the weekend's fixtures. So I'm only going to go over the South African games, but Toulouse versus Sharks will be refereed by Carl Dixon. Exeter Chiefs versus Stormers has Matthew Raynal bit of a sketchy character for South African fans. And then Glasgow versus the Lions, that will be Matthew Carley. And obviously Glasgow versus Lions is the only South African fixture in the Challenge Cup that remains. Lions haven't qualified for the quarterfinals. Hey, Ronnie, going to be a good weekend this coming weekend. It is going to be a good weekend that's coming. Very excited for the rugby and the matchups. So tell me these Champions Cup and Challenge Cups that's happening this coming weekend, right? Correct. It's this weekend, then we go back to the URC. Excellent. I'm very excited. Yeah, it's going to be quite lacquer. Then I think we have to have a chat about the Curry Cup. We will not be part of the people making this competition get forgotten. And of course, I have to bring it up because the Bulls suffered a defeat to the Griffins. 32-28, they went down. Griffins, first win against a top-tier union in their 50-year existence. Yeah, that's very impressive from the Griffins. Well done. There was a lot of passion on the field too. You saw when they kicked that ball out, they... they I mean, they celebrated it as hard as you can. Yeah, that's for sure. When the Bulls lost that one, I think a lot of disappointment during the rounds in Pretoria. They can be quite disappointed. And the Bulls now face potential relegation. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. You said there's a lot of disappointment in the capital city. But it's not just that. It's also tax. Yeah. Doing so dismally in the Varsity Cup, there's really not much going for the, for the boys here from Pretoria. Yeah, so I mean, we're obviously recording here on a Monday night and Tux is set to face UJ in the Varsity Cup, fortunately at Tux home stadium. 
But if they don't win this game, they've literally gone the whole season without a single win. And they're already automatically relegated. So Pretoria is facing quite a problem with their rugby structures at the moment, it would seem. Then we go down to Bloemfontein. The Cheetahs hosted the Pumas, and the Pumas racking up one hell of a victory there. 61.21 to the Cheetahs. Jimmy Stonehouse must be chuffed. Yeah, look, I don't really know what to say there because, you know, I, th- I think I said it last week. You don't know whether to back the Pumas or the Griquas, which team's going to come come out onto the field. And, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to say, especially after last season. But the Pumas and both the Griquas are dominant teams at the moment. And, you know, just maybe the Griffins are going to join them as dominant teams too. So well done. Well bloody done to, to the Pumas. Boys from the low felt no sure know what they're doing. Yeah, they're playing very well and deservedly so. It's really great to see them getting reward for all the hard work that they've put in. Then Lions getting one over on the Sharks at home. 34-22 victory there. That was something the Lions will be happy with. Two wins in the weekend in two separate competitions. Yeah, unfortunate for the Sharks. Really, it is. I mean, they, they, it goes back to what I've said week in, week out. The Sharks really are the world's most average team. If they win in the Champions Cup, they're going to have to lose in the in the Curry Cup just to even things out. It's all about balance, hey, Ronnie? <laughs> it's all about balance. And then the last Curry Cup fixture of the weekend saw Viopia go down 13-32 against the Griquas. Quite a shocker there for me because it was 13-0 at halftime to the, the Western Province. And then they had a 32-point implosion without reply in the second half. And I think George Whitehead deserves credit for that. You know, he came on three conversions, two penalties, and he got that request team firing again. It's not the first time you're mentioning George Whitehead. You're also a bit of a fan of him. I know you mentioned him a couple of times last season. George Whitehead put in a couple of good performances in recent months. Yeah, playing fairly well for his side there. But, yeah, Ronnie, I think while we're on the topic of South African rugby, I've seen a lot of comments on our page and on Twitter from the European fans saying how empty the stadiums were. It's ridiculous, this competition being played in South Africa. And I just want to point out here, Twickenham Stoop Stadium has 14,916 seats in the stadium. So that's Harlequin's home ground, right? Greenpoint Stadium, where they played this weekend, had 33,501 fans in the stadium. That's more than double the capacity that the Harlequins can host. And I think that the followers of rugby over there don't realize how big our stadiums are when they're saying they're empty. I mean, Kings Park had 27,500 people in the stands. That's also more, almost double what Quinns can fit in their home stadium. Yeah, look, I think the only one, the only team that really didn't bring anyone, any boys to the yard for milkshakes was the Lions. I mean, those stands were really empty, but the rest, I absolutely agree with you. Stadiums are so massive. We've hosted many thousands of people there and they definitely surpassed the total capacities of those smaller stadiums up north it's just look it doesn't look good on camera right because everyone's sitting so dispersed but it's nice eh? it's nice you've got your own personal space bubble no one's no one's sitting right next to you and you can scream and shout and, and swear as much as you want yeah for sure so Hopefully you guys will click onto that. I think we do bring a lot to this competition. And yeah, it'll be good to see it moving forward next year as they're more familiar with us as well. Then Ronnie, I see Eddie Jones has been added. He's named his first Wallaby straight training squad. Quite interesting for me, the change in tactics between what Eddie's doing with Australia, sort of coming in with a clean sweep, dropping guys, bringing new ones in versus what Borthwick's done where he's largely stuck with the structures in place. So a few big names Eddie left out of the squad, eh, Ronnie? James O'Connor, Nick White, Tate McDermott, Jake 
Gordon. Those are all players I was very surprised to see miss out on that training squad selection. Look, it is exactly that. I just want to point out it is a training squad right now. It's it's by no means a final one. Thirty-three players will be going to the World Cup as it stands. And look, these guys need to be, you know, certain guys are going to be brought in a little bit earlier, see a bit of alignment. He's not too familiar with all the players, I suppose, because he has been coaching up north. He hasn't been in Australia for a good number of years. So he needs to familiarize himself with everyone. And if you look at the likes of O'Connor, White, McDermott, you kind of know what you have in them. So so bring in some peripheral players. Let's see what, what they can do. And then uh, either move forward with them or drop them for the likes of O'Connor, White, McDermott, etc. You know, Ronnie, one night I'm going to get you hammer drunk and I'm going to take you out and I'm going to get you a tattoo saying, we know what we have in him. <laughs> That's like your catchphrase on this podcast, I swear. And it's always about the scrum halves for some reason. Fuck, no, let him rest. We know what we have in him. Dwayne, but it's we true. Know we, we know have. what we have in we, we know what we have in them. So, so let them rest, bring someone new on. And if they don't work out, then bring on the person that you know what you have in them. Guys, I promise you this is being recorded live. I'm not copying and pasting this from like the last 10 episodes. <laughs> and then also Eddie Jones calling out Rory Arnold. Hey, He's telling him, put your hand up, my boy. Come, let's get you selected here on this Wallaby side. I want to see what you've got. He's currently playing in Japan. His club getting kicked out for some indiscretions one evening. Not that he was necessarily a part of that, but he is someone that Eddie seems to be looking at to get back into the Wallaby setup. Look, I think Eddie Jones is going to try a whole bunch of things and, and the whole funny, strange combinations, you know, because whatever the Wallabies have been doing over the last couple of years hasn't been working for them. So that's going to be what he's going to do. Yeah. Well, that's going to be interesting to see. And also, you know, I don't think there's too much pressure on them to win this World Cup. I think the sights are firmly set on 2027. And I think that's also probably some of the reasoning behind the six uncapped players that have been called up. One who's only actually played four games of Super Rugby and only started two. So that's definitely, you know, with one eye on the future. All right, Ronnie. Then we have a fan topic this week coming from Damien Langa. Damien asked us, how vital is Dion Free to the Bok World Cup Challenge? For me, he will be our flow. What do you think of that, Ronnie? Damien Langa. On the while we just spoke about Eddie Jones, I do listen to a, an Eddie Jones podcast. I suppose it's a little bit strange in my own podcast that I co-host. I'm talking about another one. But what Eddie Jones said, and I found this very interesting, is the way that teams are selected in this new age is that you pick your best 15, and then you pick your worst five. And your worst five is important to understand how they're going to fit into the team. They're probably not going to get any game time, but they're important there for team morale. How how well are they going to do at practice? Do they keep team spirit up? You know, what's... They bring a whole range of other things. So I know that Damien mentioned that he's going to be that Dion Ferry is the new flow, but you know I think he's more like a Scott Brits, right? Right, he's going to be there to keep the teams and ready, and and he's going to practice hard. He's going to keep the teams on their toes because you know he does play very well. He is very experienced, and he's one of those that's never been an incredible superstar, but through sheer determination and perseverance, he's actually become. An incredible rugby player. So that's who I think Dion Ferry is. Yeah, I think Dion Ferry is definitely a player you're going to want in that Bok World Cup squad. There's huge competition in our loose trio, so it's going to be tough to say whether or not he'll feature in the main games. 
But you never know, one or two injuries, and that could happen. And I do not doubt this man's abilities. He's an out-and-out fetcher. I don't feel like we've had someone with his veracity at the breakdown since a sort of Heinrich Brissot. So I definitely back him to be there. I'm definitely saying he's an excellent player for the Stormers. And I'm keen to see what else he can contribute to the Bok cause this year. Particularly in maybe a test against the All Blacks to give them some slow ball. Or to give them some black eyes. For sure. And I actually think Dion Ferry might be the ideal player to play against a side like Ireland, who pride themselves on the quick speed of their rucks. And if you're really trying to slow down those rucks, Dion Ferry is the perfect player to start in a test like that. He's going to disrupt the scrum off and all of that. I couldn't agree more. So yeah, Damien, I reckon I definitely, definitely agree with you. Ronnie, I think we should end this episode off with a one hell of a shout out for good old Brock Harris. He came on yeah. for the Stormers against Harlequins at Loosehead Prop and only two hours later turned out at Tighthead Prop for the Western Province in the Curry Cup. Two games, one evening. They don't make them like that. It's unbelievable. No, it's unbelievable. His tender age of, I think, 38 or, or whatever it is. I heard the commentator mention it and I couldn't, couldn't quite believe it. So I had a look at the team sheets and I didn't see his name in the, in the, in the Curry Cup action. But it turns out that he actually did go on and play there. So that was very impressive. They don't make them like they used to. You're right. No, they definitely don't. And then I think a further shout out, Kerwin Bosch became the Sharks' top point scorer now, overtaking Pat Lambie. Got 749, yeah, 749 points in 90 games. Lambie had 746 in 71 games. And then just the last bit of transfer news. It looks like Toulon cannot afford Peter Steph to toy and he might be coming back to the Stormers. Good for the Stormers. Definitely good for the Stormers. And then we didn't have it on here last week, Vincent Koch having signed with the Sharks. Yeah, that's awesome to see. I'm very excited about old Vincey coming to, to Durban. Yeah, me too. That's a good one. But Laka, guys, thanks for joining us this week. It was great to have this chat. We're looking forward to some epic quarterfinals rugby. And we'll catch you back here next week, Wednesday. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow us on your preferred listening platform. Okay, everybody. Mm-hmm.